image is everything. Fake it till you make it. Never let them see you sweat. No matter how old and maybe out of date such phrases may be, they still reflect a, a general tone of people and culture. We tend to evaluate people and their effectiveness from how they appear, from the outside. That's why we often can get fooled by someone who ends up not being who they portrayed. Uh, in, in business and company, we talk about people who interview well, uh, but then when it comes to actually working, maybe what they, how they interview doesn't reflect who they really are. Maybe that resume doesn't reflect who they were. Another phrase that's out there that depending on the tone and the voice, on the nature of conversation, uh, can sometimes be a compliment or it sometimes can be a little bit of a, a slur or it can be some kind of an excuse. Uh, it comes across like this. Well, you believe that because, that, because you're religious. Uh, I believe in God, but I'm not religious. It's, it's okay that you're religious. I'm not religious, but it's okay that you're religious. The, the, the idea behind that is that religion and being religious are indicators that someone may be perceived as maybe thinking they're a little better than others. Or it could be that someone uh, attends a church service regularly. So, okay, they're really religious. I mean, they're in church like two out of every six Sundays. They are really religious. Or it may be because you're choosing or somebody is choosing not to participate in some activity or some office gossip. And it's like, well, okay, that's because they're religious. Uh, and, and the challenge for anyone who claims to follow Jesus is to be a person with very high standards that can clearly be validated by the Bible and yet be humble and consistent in our interactions with others. We're in Romans chapter 2. We're in the second half of Romans chapter 2 today. In our text today, we find that the Apostle Paul is continuing to address the Jewish believers that were part of the makeup of the house churches in Rome. This section was not very comfortable for them to hear. Uh, as Phoebe was reading the text from the Apostle Paul to the house churches and they were hearing it. And something I want to challenge you to do, I've said it before, I want to challenge you to sometimes sit down and read Romans 1 all the way through 16 in a single setting. And when you do that, you get the flow of the text and the arguments. You can kind of feel how, ooh, I wouldn't be too comfortable here. Okay, I get this. And, and it really flows. And so they would hear this read in one sitting. And then there would be opportunity to discuss this. And it could not have been comfortable for them. And I think it's important, the word that we used last week is sometimes the Jewish followers of Jesus who had all the history and background 
sometimes might come across as spiritually privileged. And I would remind you that being spiritually privileged or feeling spiritually privileged can affect anyone. And I would also remind us today as we enter this section, it's really important that what we say we believe is backed up by consistent actions that reflect what we believe. One of the criticisms of Christianity over the years has been, well, there's just too many rules. Some of us in this room have experienced life under a rules-based faith. As I was thinking about my life growing up and thinking of the rules that were part of my life, uh, one of the things that I was reminded as I thought about it was most of the rules had to do with stuff you can't do. Uh, In fact, there was an old sermon illustration that went around back in the day that said there was a young man, he was trying to get a job on a newspaper. You remember newspapers, right? Uh, He was trying to get a job at a newspaper, and the editor handed him a copy of the Ten Commandments. And he said, take this with you and come back to me and have it edited. And the young man came back, and he had edited the Ten Commandments down to one word, don't. And that's how, so, that's how I kind of thought Christianity was. It's a lot of don'ts. There might be some do's, but typically for a, a teenage kid, they were kind of boring, you know, and all the fun stuff you can't do. And, and so, you know, I had, I had, my hair had to be a certain length. There were things I couldn't go to. There were uh, activities I couldn't go to. There were things we couldn't do. One of the rules in our church was the youth group could never have uh, like a pool party, you know, one of the, we had a member of our church had a built-in pool. We could never have a youth group pool party. If you're of a certain age, you know they called that mixed bathing. We're going, we're swimming. <laughs> but, and this is the thing with rules-based, you always find a way around it. You see, I could never own a rock music album. But every Sunday, I listened to Casey Kasem's American Top 40. And I was hip. I knew the songs. I knew the words. I got around it. And I did that in our living room with my dad laying on the couch taking his Sunday afternoon nap. You know, I, we couldn't do, you know what, we couldn't have a pool party, right? But our city happened to have a municipal swimming pool. Hey, everybody meet at the pool on Saturday. We found ways around it because rules-based things really aren't life-changing. They're life-controlling. So listen as I read a few verses from Romans chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 17. Now you, remember we talked last week, real quick review. In chapter 1, it's they, they, they. You get to chapter 2, he says you, and those are singular yous. So it's like when, when this is being read, the, the Phoebe reading it kind of looks up and looks over at that person over there or at that person over there knowing that they are Jewish believers. And so that Paul begins to single them out. And that's got to be really uncomfortable. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, 
if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, and do you, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see, just following religious rules can lead to hypocrisy. Do not hear me saying rules are wrong. Do hear me saying that when one's faith is solely based on rules, it's an empty faith. And a rules-based faith can lead anyone to fall into this double standard, which is the essence of hypocrisy. Look at Paul's charge. In one sense, he, he says there's, there is great privilege for being a Jew. You and I cannot deny in our study of the Bible as you go back and you start at the beginning, you work your way through, you and I cannot deny that God in His infinite wisdom and freedom chose the Jewish people to be the nation through which He would reveal Himself to the world. His call to Abram in Genesis 12 is that through you all nations will be blessed. That God would do that. And, and so God chose this people. He, we don't know why. He doesn't tell us why He chose them. It's just His choice. And He set them in a, in a way to totally impact the world. Several years ago, a series of video teachings were out uh, entitled, That the World May Know. They were hosted by a man by the name of Ray Vanderlaan, a, a scholar. And I remember one of those videos was really interesting. Uh, he talked about the specific location of the promised land. And he revealed to us that the promised land where Israel had been chosen, God had chosen them to live, was at the time on, at the conjunction of two major trade routes. There was the King's Highway that went across from what we would call uh, from modern day or from modern day Iraq or Babylon, all the way across to the Mediterranean, across this area called the Fertile Crescent. It was a major trade route. And then from north to south, right along the Mediterranean. And those two routes connected right at the promised land. And what Mr. Vanderlaan made the point was God had perfectly positioned his people, and their nation to be able to export their faith in God and what it meant to follow God and to worship God, to export that to the known world. What a privilege. What a responsibility that unfortunately didn't happen. And, and Paul says, if you're a, a Jew, you have high privileges and high responsibility and he lists them if you're a Jew you call yourself a Jew if you rely on the law if you if you understand the law of God and by the way for our purposes here just think 
because it's easier to kind of wrap, well, it's easier for me to wrap my head around, and so I'm bringing you down to my level. I just sometimes just think, okay, let's just focus on the Ten Commandments, okay? They're the preamble to the law. Uh, I am almost through reading through Genesis through Deuteronomy, and there's just a lot of stuff there. But it's interesting if you go back and you, if every law you look at, it really does somehow connect back to the Ten Commandments. And Jesus summarized it even more simply, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And that's really the essence of the law. And he says, so you have the law. You rely on it. It becomes your guide, and it's okay to have a guide. He said, you boast in God. That's not a a negative boasting. It's that you celebrate God. We, We just said, you know, holy, 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 I want to see you, Lord. Open my eyes. You know, we're, we're going to celebrate. Later on, we'll sing a song that says, your love is everlasting. It's an everlasting love. And, and we're going to celebrate who our Lord is. That's what it means to boast in God. He says, if you're a Jew, if you do that. He says, you're instructed by the law. He says, you know God's will. And you approve what is superior because you're instructed by the law. The law opens your eyes to who God is, to what he wants. He says, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, he is kind of subtly referencing Isaiah chapter 9. And this is how the Jewish people saw themselves. You know, in fact, when, when Simeon holds that little baby Jesus up in his arms. It's in Luke 2. And he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for the Gentiles. And Paul's saying, this is great stuff. This is who you are. You have the embodiment of truth. And the question Paul is asking is, what difference does it make? How is it impacting your life? We'll look at the questions in a minute. There is a little two-volume personal study of the the book of Romans written by retired pastor Tim Keller, and it's entitled Romans for You. And he took this section and he goes, you know, we could rework this and let's take out the word Jew and let's put in the word Christian and let's look at it again. You call yourself a born-again Christian, and you are sure you're right with God because you signed a commitment card, or you walked down an aisle, or you prayed a prayer, and you really cried that night. You remember you had strong feelings from God, so you must have been converted that night. And hey, since then you've memorized dozens of scripture verses, and you know the right answer to a large array of questions, and you've led other people to make a commitment to Christ in the Bible study you lead, and you want to get deeper into the Bible, and that's why you're reading this book, Romans for You. And Paul says it's great to have all that knowledge, but does that knowledge impact who you are? Paul asks these very inconvenient questions. So if you teach others, do you teach yourself? (laughs) It's both a blessing and not so much a blessing 
to have throughout my career had my children sitting here in the congregation. They listen to the wrong points because they listen to the points that when I go home and I don't live them out, they would call them to my attention. And it was like, well, that really wasn't what you should have heard. Didn't you hear this funny story I told? Yeah. I have a responsibility to practice what I preach, and we all do. If you say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, does it reflect in your life? Paul says, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who preach against, uh, uh, you who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? In other words, when you demand people be moral and faithful, are you being moral and faithful? Is what you say you believe reflected in your life? And he throws in one that's really hard for all the interpreters. And it's this, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now, I, the people say, okay, what, 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 what could he mean there? You know, and, and here's the way I put it. This is just a Scott Howington-ism. If you say you hate idols, make sure you're checking yourself for any idols in your own life. Remember, an idol is anything, anyone, any activity that gets between me and God. I've had to remove idols from my life. And I dare say probably each one of you have come time, oh, wait, I, that's becoming too important to me. That's, that's more, I, I'm spending more time on this than I should. I, I'm becoming obsessed with this whatever it is or with this person. I need to back up. Paul says, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? In other words, let's put it in our, in our vernacular. If you and I say that this book, that the Bible is my guide for faith and practice, then do I follow what the Bible says? It's easy to fall in love with the concepts of Christianity. It's easy to fall in love with the ideals of Christianity. It sounds good to say things like, love God with all your being, love your neighbors yourself. Oh, yes, I love everyone. And, 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 and then we sometimes say, wow, isn't it interesting that the people I don't like, I don't think God likes them either. That's not our God. Our God is a God we saw last week who judges impartially. When we just fall in love with the concept, sometimes scholars call that moralism. Moralism is the idea that if I'm just a good person, I'm going to be good with God. But following moralism, following the rules, doing the rules, doesn't necessarily impact a person at their core heart level. You see, it's easy to state the rules and hide behind our sin. Isn't that the essence of again, of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy doesn't make anybody consider the claims of Christ. It does just the opposite. And, and Paul here, as he wraps up this section, he references Isaiah 52.5. He says, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see, religious acts 
and religious words without true heart change serve to drive people away from considering the person and work of Jesus. And we don't want to be those people. I mean, I've had conversations in another universe where someone, I, literally this happened somewhere where you people weren't, and someone came up to me and said, what church are you at again? And I told him, and it wasn't this church, it was the other church. Oh, I know. I know somebody goes to that church. Yeah, I'll never come to that church. Wow. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciate those people. Man, I heard what they did for so-and-so when they were sick. I heard how they came alongside this person who was struggling. But when we just follow rules without heart change, it leads to hypocrisy, and hypocrisy will drive people away. Now, Paul goes on. There were two things that clearly defined the identity of the Jewish people. The first one we've seen, it was the law. But there was a second thing that clearly identified the Jewish people, and it was the act of circumcising male babies at eight days old. Now, Paul does not, in this next section, critique the act. He doesn't even deny that it had, he, he, he realizes it had value in the community, but he's going to make a very important point. Let me read the verses first of all. He says, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you've become as though you've not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Wow, that had to really get under the skin of the Jewish believers. Let me summarize the point that I think he's making here. Focusing on religious acts alone can become empty tradition. The act of circumcision for the Jewish person is only valuable if it's accompanied by obeying the law of God. Circumcision was commanded to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. It became a point of the law in Leviticus 12. And yet, very interesting, and I just ran across this the other day. I went, oh, that's going to preach. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is reiterating the law. This is his final speech before he goes up on Mount Gerizim and, and he's gone. And Moses says in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy in verse 6, he's talking about here's what's going to happen if you don't obey God's law. You're going to be carried off into captivity, but one day you're going to confess your sins. God's going to bring you back. I'll pick it up in verse 5. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God said, this physical act is not the end all. It's, what about your heart? God wanted his people to live by his standards. And you know, it's important to note, God never demanded his people, and God never demands you or me to be perfect. In the Old Testament, 
time and time and time again. If you sin, you bring this sacrifice and your sins will be forgiven. If you sin, if you, you didn't even know you sinned, but now you find out later, you bring this sacrifice, your sins are forgiven. Sins of commission, sins of omission, your sins are forgiven. For you and me, we're never expected to be perfect. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God isn't ever talking about living some kind of perfect life because he knows, as the psalmist says, he knows we are dust. He knows we are frail. But on the other hand, for this Jewish family who was a devout Jewish family, who is blessed by God with this eight-day-old baby, they bring it to the priest, they have the baby circumcised, and then they never again, they never again model what it means to follow God to their son. They never again sit down and teach their son what it means to follow God. They kind of say, well, we've done our duty, we're good. It made the act pointless. Paul says, a Gentile who was uncircumcised, and they do their best to follow God's law, is looked on by God as one who's circumcised and in essence the way they live their life following God condemns or judges the inconsistency of the Jewish person who says, I'm just, who just is following tradition. Traditions aren't bad. But sometimes traditions lose their significance. Sometimes traditions just can't be followed. Uh, and we need to be very careful that we do not worship the tradition. And I think that might be what Paul's getting at. You are worshiping, you are, you're putting so much emphasis on the tradition, on the act, that it hasn't impacted your heart. You're just worshiping the act. We have traditions as a family that aren't feasible any longer. And now they're great memories. One of them was, especially when our children were younger, every Christmas morning, unless it was a Sunday morning, which thankfully they're rare, right? Every Christmas morning we would get up and we would go to a restaurant and have Christmas breakfast together and the kids could order anything they wanted. And because I believe that you should train up a child in the way they should go, that meant even decaf coffee. I was smart enough not to have them order caffeinated coffee because, you know, they're kids. And, and so in, in Indiana, it was the Holodome, which was the place. Here, we went to Algiers, the Hilton Inn down in Naperville, on, and we would, and it was great. We had this wonderful time together, and the kids just, they, they, it was like, that was the deal. We would have Christmas Eve service and go home and have snacky supper, which was like taquitos and, and cheese sticks and all like that, and then the next morning, we get up and we go to Christmas breakfast together, and we just, it was great. Well, you know, the kids grew up, and if we were to say, this is tradition, you have to do it. 
everybody has to be here on Christmas Day so that we can go to Christmas breakfast. Well, that would mean my son and daughter-in-law would have to either drive 14 hours or fly. That would mean my other daughter and son-in-law would have to pack up the kids and drive three hours. And it's like, that's not feasible anymore. It's a great memory, but tradition for tradition's sake, because we worship the tradition, is empty. Paul says if you're just following the tradition of circumcision just for the sake of following the tradition without the corresponding obedience to the law, then it's just an empty tradition and it doesn't change your life. It's important that we are careful not to be just doing things because, well, I guess we should do it. In 1972, an author by the name of Chad Walsh published a book entitled, interestingly enough, Early Christians of the 21st Century. He spoke to this idea of tradition. Listen to his words. When we're convinced that showing up for one or two Sunday morning services or so is sufficient for our Christian life, we're merely adhering to ritual. When quoting the Lord's Prayer is the sum total of our communication with God, we're adhering to ritual. When our service to others never leaves the church door but is relegated to a duty on Sunday, when we open our Bible only as a passage is called for in church, when church attendance is more important than ministering to our neighbors who do not know Christ, when we are more concerned with our appearance than our heart, we're adhering to ritual. Paul says to his audience, even if you've been circumcised and you've had your baby, male babies circumcised, but you don't obey God's law, you're a lawbreaker at worst and holding on to empty tradition at best. What do we do? Well, Paul gives a call for something different as we pick it up here in verse 28. Just a couple verses left. A person who is not a Jew, who is one outwardly, nor is a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Religious practices are no substitute for true heart change. Paul brings this section to a close by reminding those hearing this that their identification of a Jew, one of God's chosen, is based so much more than the externals. Externals are practices that are to be reflective of internal realities. The Jews did have a rich heritage. The choosing of Abraham, Abraham's faith, God delivering his people from slavery, God's giving the law, God bringing them into the promised land. But all of that is so that God's people would believe him when he said that loving him shown through obedience would bring even greater blessing. 
I am blown away in reading through the, the, the Torah and seeing what God said would happen if they would just obey Him. They would have crops that wouldn't fail. They would have peace. They would never, they would never go through a drought. They would never go through a famine. They would be healthy. They would be whole. Everyone would look and say, oh, we want to be like them. I mean, it was just amazing. And they went, nah, nah, we don't want to do that. Real change in anyone's life begins in the heart, in the depth of who we are. Moralism religiosity try to change one from the outside in and that doesn't last people who know these things tell us that if you really want to get in control of your life you you have to change habits if the doctor says you need to change your diet it's not just what you eat there's a habit there's there's habits you have to change you know i i've had a few kidney stones in my life. Uh, they are not fun. I have cut way back on my caffeine. I have cut back on my salt intake. Why? Because I need a diet change. I don't want to ever go there again. I don't want to ever have lithotripsy ever again. I don't want to ever be walking around the house in abject pain waiting to deliver a microscopic thing that has invaded my body. I need to change some habits, and it is work. No one notices sometimes when you have heart change initially. Uh, moralism gets noticed. It gets praised by others, but it's empty. One of my phrases I often say when I've done something right on a rare occasion I'll look at my wife and say, yeah, I'm only as good as my last win. You know, the reality is when you're externally religious, but it's not made a heart change, you're only as good as your last good deed, and failure will be pointed out. Paul leaves us with a reminder, and I want to put it in the form of a question. Who is applauding our lives? The applause of people is fickle. Who's applauding your life? Oh, it's nice to get praise from people. It feels good, but it's fickle. It's temporary. I, I, I've experienced that as a pastor. Oh, you're the best Bible teacher we've ever heard. And within months, it's, yeah, we're leaving this church. You really don't preach the Word of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's fickle, it's temporary. It can change in a heartbeat. Last year's performance review could be overshadowed by this year's layoff. Religiosity gets the temporary praise of people. Religiosity might make you popular for a moment. Religiosity gets noticed. But Paul says, when you do these things outwardly, but there's no change inwardly. Your praise is from people, but when you do it inwardly and there's a consummate outward change, then your praise is not from people, but from God. Who applauds your life? I want to leave you with another quote from Pastor Tim Keller. 
he goes back and kind of points back to Isaiah 53, verse 8. Isaiah 53, 8 says he was cut off from the land of the living. And he uses that image because that's the image of, of circumcision. And he says he was, in a sense, circumcised from the land of the living. He bore the curse for us. And then he quotes this. He says this, and I quote, In him we were circumcised. When the Holy Spirit works in someone, he gives them the Son's circumcision. Neither our religious performance nor our lack of performance matters. Through the Spirit applying the work of the Son to us, the Father sees us as objects of praise, not condemnation. We don't need to praise ourselves or live for the praise of others. Our Father in heaven sees us as beautiful. Our Father in heaven sees us as beautiful. I rarely do this, but I want to do it today. I have a little phrase that focuses on that, and I want you to repeat after me, okay? So repeat after me. Through Jesus, my Heavenly Father sees me as beautiful. I hope you believe that. When you are following Jesus, the Heavenly Father sees you as beautiful. You know, it's like when my kids did something great, it was like, yeah, that's my kid. They're great, aren't they? You know, I listen to my daughters talk about their job. I interact with my son on his job and what they're going and, and some of the things. I'm just like, yeah, you go get them. Yeah, you guys are great. You know, you're, you're going further and faster than I did. That's awesome. You go for it. And it's like, my father, when I obey Christ, when I obey the word of God, God looks down and says, man, that's my kid. They're beautiful. I love them. And so if you don't remember anything else from today, just remember that. When you put your faith in Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, when, when you are seen as beautiful by your Heavenly Father, and with that spiritual confidence, you are able to live a life that truly reflects the God who loves you dearly. Because it's never about religion. It's always about relationship. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Such a, a passage that can be so confusing. You know, what a great reminder. What a great way that Paul kind of wraps up this particular section just to remind us that when we follow you, when we follow Jesus, you see us as beautiful. May we truly believe that today. May our lives reflect that today. In Jesus' name, amen.